It's a Wednesday, which we like to call White Coat Wednesday, where we bring in our medical correspondent, Dr. Mitch Shulman. Good morning, Dr. Mitch. Good morning to you, sir. Okay, so earlier in the show, I promised that you might have some insight on one of the stories we're talking about today, which is there's a new COVID variant, BA.2.86, and it has been detected in five countries, including Canada. We have our first case on the West Coast. Yippee! <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, look, you're going to get variants as long as there are people who can get infected. The virus, as we've said before, isn't very smart, and so every time it makes copies of itself, it always makes random changes, some of which may benefit it. This one seems to be interesting. It's a variant of interest, not yet of concern, but of interest. One, because of the m- numerous changes, like 30 mutations in the spike protein, and we think it will be able to evade most immunity that we've accumulated so far. We'll have to wait and see. The hope is that the new mRNA vaccines, which hopefully be ready for the vaccination program in the fall, will help us beat this one back. Uh, But we'll have to just wait and see. And again, what I tell people to do is, look, the kids are going back to school. It's the start of cold and flu season. We're moving indoors. The weather is getting yuckier. Um, The bottom line is do what you normally do to protect yourself. And if wearing a mask is something you're comfortable with, go for it. It will reduce the risk that you'll come down with something. And we're just going to have to watch and see how this one spreads and how it plays out. But it's a great, 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 great uh, grandchild of Omicron. So there should be some degree of protection. We're just not sure how much. Okay, so I love this question. Do exercise, nature, and socializing make people happier? And apparently, we're not sure. Well, yeah, take this study with a huge, huge grain of salt. They defined happiness in a very rigorous and uh, time-constrained way. They eliminated all sorts of studies um, that seemed to indicate that there was a benefit based on the number of people in the study and a whole bunch of other criteria. There's a wealth of literature, a huge amount of scientific literature, and our own personal experience that shows that if you spend time in nature, uh, what the Japanese used to call um, a forest bathing, um, you will do better and feel better. Exercise will usually make you feel better. And it really is a function of you. If you find that meditation or exercise or relaxation or being out in nature relaxes you, don't don't let a study like this d- d- defer or change you or keep you from doing it. It works for you. If it doesn't work for you, though, this could be justification for you to seek some other way of attaining happiness, and that's perfectly okay. Um, but sure, we know from past uh, uh, research showing recovery time from surgery and other things that being exposed to greenery, to nature, fake or even real, uh, both work. Uh, being exposed to people, social uh, context, social support, volunteering, things like that, and exercise, meditation, all do seem to make a difference for many people. And if they don't work for you, just find something that does. Yeah, I love the theory. I think they use the expression in Japan of uh, nature bathing, and they seem to have been able to establish. You go for a walk like in a ravine in Toronto, and you just feel better. Without question. Now, that doesn't work for everyone. I admit that. Um, You know, whatever works for you works for you. But for many people, getting out on their bike and biking or biking in in a stationary bike in the gym or playing hockey with their buddies, and it's not the hockey, it's the fact that they're with their buddies – these things really do make a difference. This study was uh, a meta-analysis that really, really, really limited the type of studies that they would accept as proof. And of course, um, they they found equivocal 
not necessarily strongly supportive evidence. But but I really wouldn't use this as something to to put the uh, to put the negative on that those activities. I, I think they still have a benefit for a lot of people. And if they work for you, please don't let us stay like this stop you from doing them. Okay, so tell me everything that we have learned about the Y chromosome. I didn't know there was anything left to learn. <laughs> We absolutely know almost nothing about the Y chromosome. So genetically born males are XY, um, females are XX. And we think that's why women do not get certain diseases because they have redundancy on their sex uh, chromosome, the X chromosome. The Y chromosome, it was really tough to, to break it down and figure out all the different DNA and genes on it. And that's because there was a lot of redundancy, a lot of repetitive DNA sequences. Well, and this is what, 20 years after we've come close to finally sequencing the rest of our genetic code, they finally were able to do that. Huge effort. It's a function of how much of the technology it continues to advance. And they were able to identify the specific genes. Uh, they were able, something like 65 million base pairs it's an incredible amount of work. And by knowing this, we can now track down why do guys get certain diseases and not get certain diseases? Is it related to something that's on the Y chromosome? So it's really important work. It was really tough work to do. People take for granted, I think, a lot of the times, the huge advances that we've made in science. But when you realize the difficulty in sequencing, and what they needed was technology that could take a look at huge chunks of information at the same time, so they could do away with all the repetitive and backwards-forwards uh, coding, and that was what enabled them to do it finally. Okay, and we came across this story earlier in the week and tucked it aside because we wanted your medical perspective, but it's pretty disturbing stuff. Uh, detection of effectively brain damage, even in amateur young athletes. This goes back for a while now. Boston University has a, a program whereby you're able to donate your brain after death. And many professional athletes, football players, hockey players have done that. They also have from kids who've committed suicide or have died for unintentional or intentional overdoses in other ways. And they've been able to analyze their brains and they specifically wanted to look at people under the age of 30. And then they looked at those who had been amateur athletes, we're not talking about professional, who played hockey or football or rugby. There's even one female uh, donated brain that showed these signs. And what they found signs of what we call CTE or chronic, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. In other words, what we used to call punch drunk. And these are people who've had changes in their brain because of repetitive trauma to their brain, even if they may not have been aware of the fact that they were concussed. Showing that repetitive head trauma even in a young person, can cause damage to their brain. They were able to then check with family whether there were behavioral problems. Often these, these people have uh, impulsivity. Uh, they, they tend towards depression, anxiety. They may be suicidal. And they were able to find all these things in these kids who are suffering from these uh, brain repetitive trauma to their brains. So even if you're an amateur, even if you're a kid, repetitive head trauma is something that you're going to want to avoid even if there are no concussions. And we're just going to have to be a little bit more focused on how we can protect our kids because we want them to participate in sports. I mean, sports are really important, but we're going to have to be careful about how they do it. And are there actually supplements that will boost your athletic performance? 
Depends on your athletic performance. Okay. <laughs> no, no, kidding aside, yes. Um, uh, beet juice containing nitrates does seem to help with endurance. Caffeine, if you're someone who doesn't uh, drink an excessive amount of coffee or take in a lot of caffeine in other ways, a medium, the equivalent of about a medium cup of coffee about an hour before a run or a bike can boost your uh, performance. Um, creatine, if you're a weightlifter, can help you. You just have to be careful with the dosages. And beta-alanine may boost endurance. Most of the others, the data is very, 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 very iffy. And we'll, we'll put it that way to be polite. Um, so the other supplements that you may hear about, L-carnitine, things like that, there really isn't a lot of science. But for the ones we mentioned, creatine, um, uh, beet juice, um, which has nitrates in it, uh, beta-alanine, these things, uh, and caffeine, these things may actually help you with your performance if it's that important to you. I think most of us, I think the key thing is just to get out there and participate. And I don't think we need to really worry about, quote-unquote, boosting our performance. Yeah, because I'm always watching guys at the gym mixing something up in their bottle, and, and I'm yeah. thinking, is that going to do anything? But all right, so some of these things actually do help. Thanks, Dr. Mitch. Yep. Always a pleasure. Have a great day. That's our medical correspondent, Dr. Mitch Shulman.